Good morning. As I go through these three chapters, Romans 9, 10, 11, I may have scared you a little bit just talking about it, but uh, I, you have to ask the question, uh, why is this important to us? Why, If we're going through the whole election and choice and predestination and uh, all these things, why, why does it matter? To me, it matters because uh, it explains who my God is. Like I have to, I have to know that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So I take that. I take that this is my God. This is who He is. He's a gracious and loving God. He's full of He's full of uh, judgment and justice. He's full of sovereignty. He's all these things that we talk about, but I want to know the heart of my God. I watched watch these NFL guys last night do their induction ceremonies and speeches, and uh, they talked about, man, some of them were like really strong in their faith, but they talked about God, and uh, a few of them actually dropped the name of Jesus in there. But uh, just to know the heart of God, who these who these football players have said thank you to, I want to know his heart. And so, therefore, I take all 66 books, take all 66 books, have an idea of who God is based upon what I am reading, and they all have to work together. They all have to work together to paint this picture of who he truly is. And I believe that he's a loving, gracious God in the midst of all that we're having to deal with. That he truly loves us. I sit here and say, I think I, he wants the best for us. I think that was his intentions, was the best for us. I think he's a, provided a way for that to happen through his son, being crucified on the cross and our forgiveness of sins and being raised from the dead so that the Spirit can come live inside of us and live our lives for us. That's the best. That's the best. But we're still going to suffer. We're still going to go through junk. We still have decisions to make. Uh, And so when we look at these chapters I have to look at it through that filter. I have to look at it through that filter and make sense of it. Because we're into like three chapters that theologians have taken and everybody's taken their opinions and they've read the scriptures differently and it's it's become a mess. It's become a mess in the theological world. And there's many explanations for it. But I'm going to try to explain it in the way that I understand who my God is, that He's a loving and gracious God. So we get into chapter 11, chapters 9 and 10. It was kind of a negative sense uh, that Israel itself was found responsible for her state. 
failing to respond to the grace that God had given them all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and that they didn't recognize Christ as the culmination of God's plan in the history of salvation. That was kind of the downside, the negative side of it. But now we get into chapter 11, and he says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And Paul, once again, he very clearly is asking the questions that are being asked to him. He's, he's, he's literally writing this in his letter. This is what you guys are asking me. And emphatically, once again, he says, absolutely not. He's done this several times throughout his letter. You guys are saying this, you're asking this, but I'm telling you, it's not that way. It's not that way. Has God rejected his people? Well, first of all, you have to ask the question, which we've answered the last few weeks in chapters 9 and 10, is who are his people? His people are Israel. They're the Jews. He's chosen them. He's elected them. He's predestined them for the Messiah to come through the Jewish lineage. That was his choice. So has God rejected his people now? He says, no, this suggestion is really just unthinkable. To some, it may seem the logical result of what Paul has been saying in the last couple of chapters. But to the, to the apostle Paul, this is like an utter impossibility. This, it can't be like this. God is is thoroughly reliable. He's not going to say, you're my chosen people, and now you're not my chosen people. It's not going to happen. He says, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Remember, Abraham is the man. That's the one that everybody, all the Jews have said, hey, we come from the line of of Abraham. It's all about Abraham. You know, Muslims say the same thing, right? Because the the son that he had with Hagar was with Abraham. But the Jews have literally said, this is the patriarch of our lineage. It's all coming through Abraham. Now, Paul has been assigned by God a special ministry to the Gentiles a Gentile being anybody that's not a Jew. So now Paul is literally ministering to the Gentiles, yet at the same time, he's still trying to reach his brethren. He's trying to reach the Jews and let them know the Messiah has come, it's Jesus, don't miss this. I, we were talking about the Olympics, uh, the baseball, Ian Kinsler, he used to play for the Rangers and the, and the Tigers, he, he was born in Tucson, Arizona, but his father is a Jew from Israel. So Ian Kinsler applied to play for the baseball team in the Olympics for Israel. So literally, he's an American citizen, but because of his Jewish background, he decides to play for Israel. And just as you watch the... the the, the gold medal game in the men's basketball, United States was playing France. There were eight 
NBA players playing in the United States playing for France. And this is kind of what Paul's saying. Hey, look, I'm, I'm pitching, I'm playing, I'm shooting for the Gentiles, but don't forget, I'm a Jew at heart. My background is this right here. Even though I'm ministering to the Gentiles, don't forget who I come from. And so I still have a heart for this nation. Verse 2, it says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Ah, there we go. The word foreknew. This is the one, the one word that can be a theological trap because it has many different opinions and expressions. What did God foreknow? (laughs) What did God foreknow? We've said this just a few weeks ago, and I'll remind you again. What is God capable of knowing? The moment that I believed when I was eight years old that Jesus was the Messiah, I was in Christ. That's what Scripture says. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live Christ who lives in me. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. If that's the case, and Christ has always been existent from eternity past to eternity future, and I'm in him, how long have I been around? All the way back to eternity past, all the way forward to eternity future. That's hard for us to think about and to process because we have this physical timeline of being born and dying, and that's it. Well, with God, there's no time. If I'm in Christ, if I was crucified with Christ, that means the moment that I believed that I was literally at Calvary with Jesus and I was crucified with him. That's it. And I go all the way back to eternity past, all the way back to the beginning. If God gave me a free choice to choose him or to reject him, Did he know that all the way back in his foreknowledge? For God foreknew. He foreknew. It says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now, some people will go, well, foreknew. He's basically just saying from back in the Old Testament. If the verb verb is... Uh, foreknew, it's basically saying that he had a relationship with his people ahead of time. Well, what was the ahead of time? Was it just the Old Testament? Or was it all the way back to eternity past? That's the argument. Really, that's the argument? I believe God has known for all time who would choose him and who would reject him because he gave us free will. That's where I'm coming from. So then I go on to the passage. Or don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? He's taking us back to a story that's found in 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah's like really calling out to God. He says how he pleads with God against Israel. Do you not know what the scripture says? Of course they do. And then he actually quotes 1 Corinthians 19, verses 10 and 14. He says, Lord, 
They have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. Who is he talking about? The Jewish people. He's talking about his own people, the Israelites. I am the only one left. Well, he's maybe the only prophet left. He says, I am the only one left, and they are trying to take my life. This is Elijah. He's like, there's no one else around. These guys are corrupt. They're your people. They're your chosen people. They're my people. We're all the same. What are you going to do about it, God? And again, remember, we're trying to filter this thing to say we have a loving, gracious God. Verse 4, it says, but what was God's answer to him? This was Paul answering their question. He quotes 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18. He says, I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed, bowed down to Baal. There's 7,000 men, men because they didn't count the women back then, and they're literally talking about battle, but men who did not bow down to Baal. Now, you could say Baal kind of like was the overseer of all the gods that they idolized and worshipped. He was probably the main one aside from the God of Abraham. But if 7,000 men made a choice, made a choice not to bow down to Baal, and God said, look, I got 7,000 men that are on my side. There's a remnant here of Jews. And they were able to make the choice not to bow down to Baal because they believed in me. These men are the ones that made a choice to follow the God of Abraham. Verse 5, it says, In the same way then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Chosen by grace. At both times, the nation as a whole was not obedient to God. But in both, also, um, there's a minority that did. Back then and at Paul's present time. And in both, the minority was a standing witness to, tr to the truth that God has not cast away his people. He's not done away with the Jews. We believe that we are God's chosen people. But here's the interesting thing about that last statement. Chosen by grace. Chosen by grace. Chosen for grace. Chosen by grace. How is it that they're chosen? Because God's full of grace that they're chosen? Are they chosen because they have choose to follow grace? Watch what he says, verse 6. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. Here we go again. We can get into a theological debate about this as well. Because how is it interpreted? Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. So let me say this. Is God brought the law and gave it to the Jews, the Israelites. He gave them the Ten Commandments. 
they didn't do so hot with that. And then he came along with Leviticus and he gave them 613 more laws and they weren't so hot with that. And then the Jews were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and they thought, gosh, we have totally messed this thing up because we are disobedient to God. We couldn't obey anything that he's done. What, you know what we need is we need more rules. We need more laws. So then they established more laws. They wrote the Mishnah and thousands and thousands of rules and laws that they created for themselves so that maybe they would be protected and be obedient to God. That didn't work out too well. But the problem here is this. The law became their God. This is the way to salvation. If we can obey the law, then we'll be saved. And they put the law up on the pedestal. And the whole time, all the way back to Abraham and even to Genesis chapter 3, God says, there's a Messiah that's coming and it's going to be through grace that you're saved, not the law. It's going to be through grace, grace, not works. Now, here's the divider. Here's where... Here's where you have to determine what is a work. Some people will say that simply believing is a work. I'm not buying that. Believing is not a work for me. One, it's the ability that God has has given me to think and to process. And then... Uh, so I'm able to choose whether I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And once that happens, then, man, faith and belief is a gift from God. It all comes from God. But to me, it's not a work. If you interpret believing as a work, then all of a sudden you've put God in the seat of deciding who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. That's where the whole predestination, election, and choice from the other side comes in is based upon how do you simply interpret belief? Is it a work or is it not? I don't believe it's a work. I don't believe it's a work. And then verse 7. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for. But the elect did find it. Again, who's the elect? Those that he foreknew. The rest were hardened as it was written. If you go back and listen to what we've talked about in chapters 9 and 10, they've literally had a choice. In chapter 9, it talked about God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. He hardened, basically, he strengthened whatever Pharaoh had already believed. He didn't believe in the God of Abraham. It was Pharaoh's choice not to believe that. So God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And now he's saying the same thing. The rest were hardened as it was written. Watch this. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4, and Isaiah 29, 10. He says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear, 
to this day. That sounds like a mean God. That God would allow them not to see. But it happened in Deuteronomy. It happened later on in Isaiah. And it even happened later on with Jesus in Matthew chapters 12 and 13. If you remember, Jesus was doing these miracles and the Pharisees came to him and said, you're doing these miracles out of the spirit of Beelzebub, out of the evil one. You're satanic. They blasphemed Jesus to his face. And he said, at this point, you will not see the gospel. You will not see it because you've blasphemed. Whoa, wait a second. That sounds pretty mean. No, no, no. They made the choice. They made the choice first, and God strengthened them in their choice. And David says, this is a quote out of Psalm 69. It says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall, and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent continually. He's literally quoting David here. I'm not going back and pulling out Psalm. This is Paul quoting David. What Paul wants to say here is very simple. He's saying this, don't you forget, you you Roman Christians, that God is continuing to choose Jews to belong to his people. Like, you've, you've got it now, but don't think that God's let them alone. Like, we'll, I'm teaching the Gentiles this message about Jesus and you're receiving it, but don't think for a minute that there won't be some that come to know Jesus as the Messiah. In in other words, there were still Jews that were coming to believe that Jesus was the Messiah in Paul's day. Paul is one himself. He's a Jew that believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 11, it says, I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Again, emphatically, he says, absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Paul is figuring out, how do I get them to believe? Remember we talked about this last week? If you got your your kid and you're trying to get them to understand Jesus Messiah, how do you express this to them so that they come to know? Again, Paul's asking the same question. Well, maybe if the Gentiles figure this out and they see it, and the Jews watch the Gentiles and all that they have and how they live their life, maybe they'll become jealous enough to want to have Jesus as the Messiah as well. I mean, Paul, you guys, uh, let's bring it home. I'm I'm not advocating one way or the other this illustration, but you're watching it play out with this whole vaccine thing. 
You've got people that are for the vaccine, people that are against the vaccine. You've got people that are trying to convince and convince and convince. And this literally is what Paul is doing. He's on one side saying Jesus is the Messiah, and they're on the other side going, nope, he ain't the Messiah. And I'm stuck here. And he's like, well, if they can see the advantages, the advantages of the, the Gentiles, maybe all of a sudden that will cause them to want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. God's purpose right here is to to let salvation come to the Gentiles and hopefully provoking Israel to respond in repentance. Verse 12, it says this, Now if their transgression brings riches for the world and their failure riches and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Insofar as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. He's literally saying to the Gentiles, don't become so arrogant in what you have received that you leave my people alone. In fact, there's a lot of Jewish traditions, and if you would just respect those traditions so that somehow, some way, they may come to understand Jesus is the Messiah. Someone, we had this discussion this week with someone, I can't remember who it was, but they were asking about the book of James. How is the book of James in the New Testament? The book of James is a grace-filled letter. It's a grace-filled letter. But what you have to understand is James was a Jew, and his responsibility, what his ministry was, was to minister to the Jews, to teach them the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And so when Paul was doing his thing, going all over the, really the whole region, starting churches and everything, the Jews back in Jerusalem were kind of upset because he was teaching and reaching the Gentiles and the Jews were doing their thing back here with all their rituals and traditions and everything else. And so they had a council, James being included with Paul, and they said, Paul, come on, man. We're totally for you. We agree with what you're doing. God's called you to reach the Gentiles and everything. But at the same time, help us reach the Jews. Just give us one or two food rules. All right? Just, just give us a little bit. All right? Paul says, all right, I'll give you a couple. You, you go ahead and do that, whatever it takes for you to reach the Jews. And literally, Paul's saying the same thing right here to the Gentiles. Hey, guys, I, I get it that they're rejecting it and everything, but just give them a little leeway, would you? <laughs> just love on them a little bit so that they can see this message because these are my brothers. I want them to know Jesus, and it may be because salvation has come through the Gentiles right now. I mean, Paul is literally pulling everything out. How do I get more people to understand salvation? 
How does the attitude of the Gentiles help reach Paul's own people? Have some respect. Don't despise their customs. Then the last couple of verses we look at here this morning. For if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Literally what Paul is doing right here is he's causing the Gentiles, the even the Jewish Christians, but the Gentile Christians to think in the process. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus' death, as low as it was, brought salvation to the people. But Jesus' resurrection brought life so that they could live abundantly here on earth. Think about that. If their rejection of the Messiah, which is like death, but through you they come to understand and know that Jesus is the Messiah, think about the life that is produced right here. Yeah, they've rejected Him, but there's still a chance for them to know Jesus. In the last verse, man, it was a tough one. It says, now if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. There's a couple of interpretations here. I'm sticking with one, but this is really in reference to the patriarchs talking about Abraham. He's spoken about Abraham because this is what gets them. This is what causes them to like light up. All those who believe in the coming Messiah and Jesus would be considered the whole batch or even the branches. Like anybody believes a Messiah is coming in the Old Testament or even after Jesus comes, Jesus is the Messiah. They would be a part of that whole batch. They would be a part of the branches. The remnant of the Jews that believe as well as the Gentiles. And how is it done? It's done by grace. Not those who have made the law their point of salvation, which would be based upon works. He's literally saying the whole batch that believes is the Messiah. I stop here because the next few verses are really, really tough. They're really, really tough. If you take them by themselves. But what we've done is we've literally painted a picture for the last four or five weeks of what Paul has prepared as he breaks into this last part of chapter 11. What do I believe? You know what I believe. I believe that God's given us free will. I believe that you have a choice to love Him and you have a choice to reject Him. You have a choice to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that He's the Savior of the world, that He's the Lord of our lives, that He loves us, He loves the whole world, and it's your choice. Your choice. It's the same thing that Paul's talking about when he refers to his people. It's their choice. 
their choice. My God is a loving God. He's full of grace. He's full of love. I hope you know him. Father, uh, today, we're just sitting here reading your word, and uh, really we just want to know your heart a little bit more today. Just understand you a little bit more. I think I know. I'm pretty sure I know. Based upon your word, I'm positive I know. I trust you. I trust you that you are a gracious, loving God. And that you sent your son as a gift to us. And now we have the spirit who lives inside of us. I thank you for that. And Lord, uh, obviously there's a lot of commotion going on with our people health-wise. I pray for Becky as she's coming to her last few hours here this week and her family as they're gathering around her and Phil and Jan that you would allow them to recover enough to be a part of that process. And I pray for uh, Linda as she's in rehabilitation and Um, just pray that you would continue to give her rest I pray for Brandon just what he saw his mom that you would be able to take those thoughts out of his head just give him peace and uh, I trust you with all the other stuff that's going on here today that hasn't even been mentioned I pray that you would overwhelm us with your love and I pray these things in Jesus name Amen.